We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the Rotowire Sports Betting Podcast, a subsidiary of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. It is week two already, John. We, we zoomed through week one of the NFL season. Uh, I, I always love getting back into this routine, and usually it takes a couple of weeks. Like It still feels like summer. You know, you're still kind of doing your, your summer activities, your summer routine, but uh, it, it makes the week fly by, right? Like You basically just have to make it through Tuesday and Wednesday, and then we got Thursday night football, then it's Friday. Then you got college football all day Saturday. You got the NFL Sunday. You got Monday night football. It's just, it's this perfect hamster wheel of maximum football. Yeah, it's, it's fully on now. Now, now that NFL week one is in the books, um, college football off and running. We had a, an electric slate this past weekend. Um, and, you yeah, know, NFL absolutely delivered um, on Sunday. Sunday night was, uh, that was something, wasn't it? And then uh, the Monday night game was, uh, that was oh. wild uh, as well. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're already like off the rails almost in, in a way. Like the, things are really getting turned on their head. And yeah. I think that, that that's the kind of stuff that makes week two always so interesting and so difficult because people, yeah. they, they spend their entire like last, I would say last month or so of summer, like looking at the week one board, getting their narratives together Trying to think, okay, like I like this team a lot. And then, you know, a team like like the Seahawks, like they, they fall on their face after, you know, kind of coming out of the Seahawks. I think I kind of do want to get you started there. But um, you, you, uh, you see them be one of the big surprise teams. And now I'm feeling like a dope for not calling them as like the obvious regression case uh, in the NFL. Like it, it's just, it's so crazy how shook you can get off of one game and, and, you know, how much you can est- extrapolate from week one to week two and how much of it is just, Hey, like, you know, the Bengals, for instance, like there, Joe Burrow will, will not throw for fewer than 84 yards, uh, again, this season, that, that, that might be my most scorching take, you know? So it, it's all about finding that right balance and the right type of takeaways for, from week one, as we apply it, um, onto the week two board. If you're wondering how the Seahawks are doing, they signed a 41-year-old tackle uh, <laughs> earlier today. Jason Peters is on the roster, baby. Uh, yeah, that, that's how they're coming out of week one. That was my best bet on the show last week. That was uh, of the five bets that we ended up submitting for Circa Million, which, by the way, we went three and two. It, it wasn't a complete disaster, but I think that was the one that we were the most in on, right? Like, if you had to select a, a Circa Million best bet of the week, 
it would have been between that and it would have been, uh, you know, maybe Jags four and a half against the Indianapolis Colts. Seattle's let down to me. That was, that was the most surprising of the ball, right? You know, Cincinnati, we had, we'd kind of seen this narrative play out almost exactly last year. And, you know, at least that game was a little bit closer. They were able to, to finally put some points on the board. Like week one last year, Cincinnati was moving the ball. You know, they were just turning it over. I mean, Joe Burrow was, I think had five turnovers himself and they still went into overtime and could have won that game in regulation. Uh, but we, we, we kind of knew that there was a chance that the Bengals would, would have that no show. And ultimately they did. Uh, you know, I, I think the Steelers were, were another disappointment for us as well. Luckily, we backed away uh, from taking Pittsburgh to cover in the Circumillion contest. But, uh, you know, I, I, I took Pittsburgh against the number in staff picks. I, I took him in my article. I took Pittsburgh in my pick'em league. That one was over uh, midway through the first quarter. But, you know, Seattle to me, like, I, I don't even I, like to me, it's more about the Rams than it is Seattle. Right. Like Seattle had some major letdowns defensively, like the amount of big plays especially in the second half that, that Matthew Stafford was able to generate with a bunch of like number three and four receivers and Van Jefferson had a huge drop. That would have been another one to add to that tally. Uh, you know, defensively, I was really let down by Seattle, but you know, we, we started to hear this narrative kind of crop up toward the end of the week. You know, Sean McVay, he, he owns Pete Carroll. He always finds a way to beat Pete Carroll. And, you know, I, I think I underestimated Sean McVay and I also underestimated Matthew Stafford who reminded us that, you know, when he's healthy, he's probably not a top five, quarterback. I don't think he's in that conversation right now, just given how talented the top of the league is at the position, but he's in the top 10. And, and Sunday was a, a stern reminder in the late window. It was. And, you know, we, we did spend a, a good amount of time, like I, I'm replaying it in, in my head right now, just talking about the, that Rams roster and, and how embarrassing it, it was go, going into week one. And it's like, oh, now they don't have Cooper Cup either. Like this is going to be a disaster for them. And I, and here, these were like the famous last words. How is this line not higher? And and therein lies, you know, the the uh, uh, the golden ticket right there. It's like I should have known right when I said it that 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 was the mush of mushes. And uh, boy, was it. Yeah. I mean, but you know, what what do we make of the Rams going forward? Like they still had some some kind of confounding stuff with their backfield. Yeah. Maybe that's more of a fantasy issue that, than like you know a betting one, but. Bottom line here, you know, it looks like even with Cup being out, it, it against all odds, the Rams were able to draft someone that can immediately contribute for them in Puka Nakua. Yeah. That's that is that might be the single upset of the week. Yeah, I think we'll have to mark this one down on our list of things to remember as we do this podcast throughout the year. Like anytime we think, oh, we must be smarter than the book. We must know something that the book doesn't know here. Uh, let's let's check ourselves on that one. And, you know, the book's probably right. Uh, if a number yeah. is moving, as that Rams line did uh, in advance of, of Sunday, after we did the pod, to our credit, but, you know, it, it moved a little bit in favor of the Rams. And you're thinking, man, if anything, we thought this would be going the other way. Uh, that, that, to me, again, was, was the biggest surprise of week one. We saw unders go 12 and four in week one. And it certainly felt that way, right? Uh, I mean, like, obviously, you play a lot of fantasy, as I do. You know, there, there were a lot of battles going into last night where it's like, all right, I, I got to try to win this matchup like 81 to 77. Uh, we saw a lot of slobber knockers, you know, a lot of grinded out rock fights in this week. Yeah, well, it, it says a lot that when the the leading fantasy scorer on the week in most formats, in like the, the default PPR scoring formats, was the Dallas Cowboys defense. <laughs> that that um, it outscored Tyreek Hill. Giants hang the banner. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable, man. Um, so let, let's review our circuit picks real quickly, and then we'll we'll preview. Week two, we're not going to, you know, kind of relitigate all these games that would result in a four-hour podcast. Nobody wants that. We don't want that. Uh, but we mentioned the Seattle game. That was a loss. You know, we were three and zero in the early window. We we hit on Atlanta 
minus three and a half against Carolina. That one, it was a little bit of a slog, you know, was, was not a wire to wire domination in any fashion by the Atlanta Falcons. But I, I think our logic held up there. You know, this is a team that can control the clock. Uh, you know, the defense certainly was improved, you know, two picks for Jesse Bates that ended up really swinging this game. Um, you know, not, not a great showing necessarily for Bryce Young, not, not over discouraging either, especially when you consider the weapons around him. But, uh, you know, I, I think we, we kind of forecasted that one fairly correctly. And I think we were kind of spot on with the Jags as well. You know, we were really comfortable taking them at four and a half. That was the number at Circa. I know it was a little bit higher at some other books. And, you know, you always got to approach it with caution. Division game on the road in week one. Jacksonville came within like five feet of not covering this game. I mean, they, they stopped like five or six plays in a row uh, toward the end, three of which were quarterback by, by Gardner Minshew after Anthony Richardson exited the game. So uh, fantastic goal line stand by the Jags. I, I saw something today that like the Colts were – were considered like 82% to, to score a touchdown in that situation. And that, that teal curtain held up, gave us the cover there. Um, but, you know, we, we talked about with Jacksonville, it's like, we, we, we have questions about this defense. We have questions about, you know, how do you handle Anthony Richardson, a unique quarterback on the other side, even if you have more talent. And what we settled on was, I don't know if it matters because the Jaguars are going to do enough on offense to win this game. And it took him until the fourth quarter, but that eventually happened. Yes. Uh Bless you, Travis Etienne, for, for oh, that touchdown you. run. More. And that was, I mean, heard you talk about it on, on the uh, pod with, with Jeff earlier this week. Like, just so impressive for Etienne. Uh, you know, one of the more uh, just kind of top highlights of the entire week. I mean, it's like he's moving backwards, and then all of a sudden he's by everybody uh, for, for six in a, in a heartbeat. And he's like, there, there's Clemson, Travis Etienne. That, that's that's the guy I remember. So, uh, if he really breaks out this year and, you know, Zay Jones is, is still doing well, but I guess the big fantasy question is Christian Kirk, but like the, the Calvin Ridley addition to this offense is, is colossal, I think, in Trevor Lawrence's development. And some of the Lawrence's throws were so pinpoint, his ability to, to just kind of layer the ball over the defense, crazy. So uh, that offense is going to be a problem all year for, for people. And I, I, I can't wait for that uh, Jags Chiefs game this weekend. Yeah, very much looking forward to breaking that one down. Uh, I think I'm going to be on the KC side of it, though. You know, we'll have to see what happens with Travis Kelsey. Uh, we took your Baltimore Ravens. We we went against the trend. You know, uh, the, the trends say do not take a double-digit favorite. Doesn't matter if they're at home. Doesn't matter who the opponent is. In week one, you want to avoid those. We sniffed that out. We sniffed it out from the start. Uh, again, much like the Jags, much like the Falcons, this was not a clean, you know, wire-to-wire domination by any means by the Baltimore Ravens. But you know, we were kind of falling back on, you know, even if this offense looks a little bit clunky, we don't trust Houston to, to score enough points in this game. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, exactly. You hold Houston to, I believe it was nine points. Yep. Um, you know, they, they just couldn't really get much going. The offensive line, of course, was really banged up going into that one. Um, so I, I think that, that game told us a little bit more about how far away Houston is for, from being competitive than it did necessarily a whole lot about the Ravens. Although, to, to the Raven or, you know, in defense of the Ravens, I suppose, you know, there was no Mark Andrews. You lose J.K. Dobbins in that game for the season. That's a huge blow on the, on the sideline that just could not have been a, a good scene, a, a good um, kind of rah-rah environment for, for the Ravens after that type of thing happens. I mean, it kind of takes the air out of the building. And, it, you know, the, the NFL insiders were pretty quick to be like, uh, well, there's concerns that there's an Achilles and it's like, if it's coming from rap sheet, like 
there's no concerns like you've you know uh, well we saw that last night as well you know usually mm-hmm. you could kind of read between the lines on those if if if, if a reporter like Rappaport or Schefter is, is even putting it out there like Schefter was on the halftime show openly talking about like yeah it's probably an Achilles like if it gets to that point it, it's almost 100 percent. yeah exactly so that that was is brutal and we'll, we'll see what the Ravens are able to, to cobble together this week but I, I think and we'll get to it a little bit more but CJ Stroud is not going to make a Ravens defense without Marlon Humphrey, you know, pay, pay for that absence. Joe Burrow, on the other hand, uh, that, that could be a very, very different uh, story. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should address, by the way, we are recording this a little bit early this week. This will not be the norm. We're doing it on Tuesday evening. You and I are both traveling. We, we have kind of a, a unique week two schedule uh, individually here. So this one will be coming out a little bit earlier. Normally we'll be recording this on Thursday or Friday. We'll have more information for you. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, due to scheduling, this one will be kind of a one-off that comes earlier in the week. So keep that in mind uh, as you listen. Let's talk uh, Broncos and the Raiders. You know what? We we didn't feel great about this one. This was definitely the fifth out of five picks uh, if we had to order them in terms of confidence for the Circa Million. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about both of these teams in, in context of their Week 2 matchups as well, but... Uh, I, I felt actually okay about this one in the first half. You know, I think Denver was kind of doing what we thought they would. The defense was holding up. They're running the ball. They're not asking Russell Wilson to do too much. But by the end of this game, you know, watching the the, the fourth quarter, I, I just kept thinking, like, this looks exactly like last year's Broncos. Right. And, you know, there there's some rug pulls for, on the fantasy side of things with uh, with Marvin Mims, my guy, not, not doing anything. But – uh, that's besides the point. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the Broncos, I think that, you know, it, again, real hot take here that, that the offense will eventually get on, get on track. I do have that, that level of confidence in Sean Payton and his ability to design an offense, but yeah, the, the proof is not quite in the pudding, uh, just yet. And, and they're going to have to win, uh, with defense here for, for this next little stretch until the offense can actually show some semblance of a pulse because putting, putting up less than 20 points on the Raiders defense when you're at home, that's not, that's not a great starting point. Yeah. This, this next little stretch here, I, when, when does that stop? Like, is that the entire season? Is that like the next five years? Like, I, I don't know what this next little stretch means. You know, hopefully they get Jerry Judy back for week two. And then maybe that at least gives them some semblance of a big play threat. I mean, Denver was, was for the most part able to, to incrementally move the ball, but it, there's just no, there's no deep threat on this team. There was, you know, you don't really have to worry about the ball traveling more than 10 or 15 yards in the air at any point. And, and like you said, you know, not being able to put up points on the Raiders defense of all defenses like that. That's, that's really the alarm bell that's going off for me. Uh, but we'll talk about the Broncos. They are home for the commanders in week two. Let's turn our attention, John, to the board. And you know, because we're recording this pod earlier in the week, we do get to talk Thursday night football. And, you know, if we want to include this in our circa million entry for week two, we have to get it in, uh, by Thursday afternoon. So we'll have some decision-making to do on that front. Eagles, uh, depending on where you look, they are a six-and-a-half or a seven-point favorite over the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. We saw this game in primetime at week two last year as well. That's right. That was um, – that was well, so we had a, a Monday Night Football doubleheader where the, the Bills were just uh, laying waste – to the Tennessee Titans, and it's like, okay, well, hopefully Vikings Eagles gives us a little something. And the Vi- and the, <laughs> the the Vikings did not show up for that one. Got to imagine it'll be a little bit different this time. And you know, the Eagles mm-hmm. uh, they got the cover and everything in New England. That was a really tough game. I think that the offense um, ends up breaking out a little bit more here in in this particular setup. And I think you know, it really is worth noting that that the Vikings. 
what happened to them in uh, against Tampa Bay? I mean, it gets swept under the rug a little bit because of what happened in Seattle, I feel like. But that that had to be – and I loved the Bucks to cover last week, but my goodness, um, I, I didn't expect uh, a result quite like that one. And now, you know, we have big concerns about Minnesota. You know, they were – uh, they had like minus odds to to make the postseason, or like right around even money to to make the postseason going in to last week, and now they're two to one uh, to to make the the postseason. So like yeah. the, Vegas is showing a, a rattled amount of confidence in uh, in the Vikings here, and you know if we if we can lock this in at six and a half, I wouldn't be completely opposed to at least having the Eagles in consideration uh, for one of our picks. I know Thursday is is kind of an unconventional one to use in a contest like this because there, there's so many more variables at play. But I think the Eagles really still are like uh, of the class of the NFC. And I think that the Vikings are several levels down. And of course we also get Kirky in prime time. Yeah, that's the big one. Right. And, you know, I, I, I'm trying not to put too much stock in, in these week run results. Although with Minnesota, it feels like this was kind of an instant karma game for everything that happened last season <laughs> when, you know, that, that game does not go the way it did uh, in 2022. You know, the Vikings find a way to win that by one score. They were 11 and 0 in one score games. They are now 0 and 1 uh, as luck would have it to begin 2023. I mean, a, a couple of turnovers by the Vikings, you know, deep in Bucks territory. I think that really swung things like those, those, the fumble by Kirk Cousins and the interception. I mean, those were drives that at the very least were going to result in a field goal uh, and likely a very makeable field goal for the Minnesota Vikings. So, uh, you know, I, I think this one could have gone the other way. I, I don't, I don't read it as a, a huge indictment uh, on Minnesota necessarily, but yeah, you know, I, I think we knew this was a team that was going to be due for some degree of regression and that's already starting. If we could keep this at six and a half, we'll see what the number ends up being in Circa. I really like the Eagles here. Uh, you know, I, I think the Eagles played like a C minus game overall, especially on offense uh, against New England. You know, weird game. It's raining hard in the first half. It's drizzling in the second half. You know, Jalen Hurts has that just bizarre fumble uh, late in the game that that made this one a lot hairier than it needed to be. I mean, this was in terms of you know yards over expectation, EPA, things like that. Like this would have been the worst Eagles offensive game all of last season. Like they did not have a game where they looked this bad the entirety of 2022. So I, I view this as a baseline, right? And they still found a way to win this game. I mean, they were up 16, nothing early. They had the pick six on Mac Jones. You can't always count on that, but uh, you know, we also knew that the new England defense would be ready for Jalen hurts and for this Eagles team. I thought the Eagles played pretty conservatively for most of this game once they went up. Uh, but I, I think we see a, a version much closer to last year's Eagles on Thursday night. I do as well. Um, you know, that we're not going to have Dallas Goddard, um, you know, be, be a, a basically a no show. And I think Sirianni probably has heard it enough from the Philadelphia media with, with his handling of the backfield situation. That was a bit of a head scratcher as well. I imagine that looks a little bit different uh, yeah. on Thursday night. And, and, you know, his bottom line, I, I think that, yeah, this Eagles offense isn't going to stay down. The Vikings defense is one that we kind of had circled coming into this year as one that I think you can target a little bit and, you know, they're going to be at home reigning NFC champs, uh, this, this could get, this could, I'm not saying it, it absolutely will, but there, there's potential bloodbath territory here for, for the Vikings. I think it's, it, the yeah. more we talk about it, the more I'm, I'm feeling, I'm seeing in my mind's eye uh, Philadelphia winning this one going away. Green Bay and Atlanta uh, is the first of our early games on Sunday. Uh, we've seen this line completely flip-flop. You know, but before week one, it was Falcons minus one and a half. We're now seeing Green Bay as a one and a half point favorite. It's up to two 
at some shops, but one and a half, uh, most places that you'll look, we'll see where that ultimately settles. Uh, and it makes sense, right? I, I mean, I, I don't really necessarily want to downgrade the Atlanta Falcons, but I think it's hard not to react to how great Green Bay looked uh, against Chicago on Sunday. I thought that would be a much closer game. I, we were on Green Bay to win. I certainly did not think it would be a blowout. I didn't think Justin Fields and that offense would look as bad uh, as it did. But I think we have to, first and foremost, you know, tip our cap to Jordan Love. I thought that was a about as well as that could have gone, uh, given the situation on the road. You know, first kind of real start as the the true starter for the Green Bay Packers. I thought he acquitted himself really well. But to me, man, the Packers defense, which was a, a huge liability for all of last season and has been, you know, historically throughout the Aaron Rodgers reign at quarterback, I think that would have been the single best game the Green Bay defense played if you included last season. Like they, they were flying around. They were a lot more organized. You know, they were ready for for a unique quarterback in Justin Fields. And, you know, I, I think in some ways, you know, this will be a more difficult matchup. The Falcons are a better team. They're a better coach team. But you also have a significantly more limited quarterback now in Desmond Ritter. Right. So I think game script is huge here. Like the, the first half of this game really could go a long way towards dictating the result because if you get the Falcons in a catch-up script, it doesn't feel like they're going to have any sort of comfort level that's going to be way out of out of uh, how they want a game to go. I mean, not that anyone wants to go into a game like, okay, we're, you're down ten, figure it out. But they just they're built to run the ball, and they clearly are just not completely sold on Desmond Ritter. And maybe like there there's a little bit of like extra anxiety because last year. You know, the, the stakes for, for the season are effectively out the window once they turn the keys over to, to Desmond Ritter. Now, you know, you have the, the whole season ahead of you and you play that conservatively with, with Desmond Ritter, the guy who you've surrounded with first round picks and Bijan Robinson and Drake London and Kyle Pitts. And, you know, you still have him throw it fewer than 20 times. Maybe Carolina just simply wasn't worth opening up and, sh- and showing the entire offense against. But I mean, color me very skeptical on on the Falcons' ability to to you know outscore teams this year. So if Green Bay starts hot mm-hmm. and 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 gets out to an early lead here, I mean, this could really snowball on Atlanta. Yeah, I, I mean, these are two teams I think we're going to know a lot more about after week two, right? You know, I, I think we saw obviously Green Bay is not just going to be rolling over everybody the way that they did the Chicago Bears, and you got to give them their credit, but. Uh, you know, for this line to swing as much as it has feels to me like maybe a, a bit of an overreaction. You know, I, I think maybe we maybe Chicago was a bit overrated going into week one. And I, I'm very curious to see how much different the Atlanta offense looks from week to week. You know, I, I think the way that they won against Carolina is the way that they prefer to win. Right. You don't ask Desmond Ritter to really do anything that he's not comfortable with. You, you can win the game with Tyler Algier and Bijan Robinson on the ground. You could get some some timely turnovers uh, off of inexperienced quarterbacks. I think that's kind of the script going into this week against Green Bay. But uh, you obviously can't depend on that every single week. And they're, they're going to be playing from behind at some points. And I, I do wonder if, you know, they looked at this game the way we did and said, all right, you know, let's make Bryce Young beat us. You know, like we're, we're not going to do anything to beat ourselves. And it, it did feel like a very, very conservative Falcons game plan. And I, again, I think you can get away with that against Carolina. You could get away with that against teams like Indy and Houston and, you know, Arizona, whoever else you want to throw into that basket. But when you start playing, you know, more talented teams like the Green Bay Packers, uh, at some point, Desmond Ritter is, is going to have to kind of sink or swim. So I, I think we'll find that out in week two. Uh, as of right now, though, John, I think I lean Green Bay. I, I don't want to go too hard into it, what we saw in week one. But you also have to keep in mind that you know they'll likely get Christian Watson back for this game. I mean, arguably their best pass-catching weapon uh, didn't even play in week one. 
Exactly. So, so he would be a, a very important addition. Um, we'll, we'll have to really monitor the, the Aaron Jones uh, situation. Um, if, if he's not available, you know, that that's one element of the green Bay offense that, that becomes a lot uh, less dynamic, but, but at this stage, my, my lean is, is to agree with you and, and say that the Packers are able to go in here. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a small line there, just a one and a half points over, over at DraftKings. Um, let's see, is the, where's the public on, on this one? Uh, the public is very much so, uh, on the Packers, according to our friends at VEASAN, 73%, uh, uh, love them. 73% of the money is coming in on the pack right now. So I think that that's another thing to, to consider here. There, there's some lopsided handle going on on, on this slate uh, right now. A lot of teams drawing 70 plus percent um, of the money. So, but, you know, you got to be wary with, without like being too overzealous to fade the public also. Low total here, by the way, 40 and a half is the number across the board. We have a bunch of low totals uh, in week two. Colts, Texans hanging around 40. Giants, Cardinals is in that range. Bears, Buccaneers, Jets, Cowboys, uh, Saints, Panthers, and Brown Steelers. All those numbers hanging around 40. And of course, we'll touch on all those games as we progress. Let's move on to Raiders, Bills, John. Uh, number is at eight and a half uh, over at DraftKings. It's nine and a half at FanDuel. Uh, you know, still some tinkering to be done here. Of course, the, the Buffalo Bills played less than 24 hours ago uh, at eight and a half. I, I like the Bills here, even at nine and a half. I think as, as long as it stays under 10, I would lean Buffalo. Uh, you know, the Raiders acquitted themselves well. I thought Jimmy G uh, looked pretty good, about as good as he could have uh, in that situation. Week one on the road at Denver. Buffalo, though, man, four turnovers for Josh Allen. Uh, each one felt increasingly costly. It, yes, they, they did. Um, so I'm feeling better already about my, my Bills takes for, for, for uh, coming into this year. But this is the Raiders that we're talking about. And I, I think Buffalo, after the way that, that Monday night unfolded, they know that they, they don't really have a ton of margin for error, especially with, you know, you look around elsewhere in the division. Not, not only have you already lost a game within the division, but the, the Dolphins look like a team that is going to be scary potentially this season, one of the more impressive wins of week one, like other than the Lions, I, I think I would say that the best win was, was probably the Dolphins. So Buffalo needs to take care of business. They cannot afford to mess around in this spot. And, you know, again, with, with my lack of, you know, uh, high ceiling confidence in the bills, as far as making a ton of noise in the postseason, I mean, that they still far outclass what I think the Raiders are going to be bringing it to Orchard yeah. Park on Sunday. So I, I think you nailed it. As long as this stays under 10, it, the pick is for the Bills. But um, we'll, we'll have to see where, where the money floods in. And, and you know, th this was, I believe, 10, 10 and a half points going into the Monday night football game and, and you know, precipitously dropped as a reaction uh, to what, what everyone saw on Monday night football. And in some ways, rightfully so. Uh, you know, obviously, the Raiders won as well, so that's part of it. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say, you know, Monday night football was a fluke necessarily. Uh, I, I think if anything, it's a credit to the Jets defense and just how good that yeah. unit is. Uh, but the difference from going to the Jets to, to the Raiders, I think, is, is what really pushes me in favor of Buffalo. I mean, those, those interceptions by Allen were they were just reckless to me. It's like, they weren't even like bad throws necessarily. It's just it was just kind of like, a, what are you doing, man? Like you're, you're kind of trying to bite off more than you can chew. You're throwing balls that aren't really there. Uh, you know, it, we, we've seen this behavior certainly from Josh Allen in the past. I think if he if he just doesn't throw one of those picks, maybe with the exception of the arm punt, uh, that, that ended up hitting the Jets inside the five-yard line. And I think Brees Hall immediately ripped off like an 80-yard run <laughs> right after that. 
Uh, yeah, we, so maybe maybe we have some more questions about this this Bills defense that we thought we would. But I, I think this is a, a pretty obvious bounce back spot for Buffalo. They're at home. I mean, this is a, a long, long trip up to the Northeast for the Raiders. And look, I I, I don't want to just completely you know wash away everything that we thought about both of these teams coming into the year. I think you and I were were skeptical about Buffalo, but I, I still view this team on a completely different plane than I do the LA Raiders. And you know, if, if anything, I think we might look back in four or five weeks and the Broncos are one and five. And we'll say, okay, maybe that maybe that win didn't even mean that much for Vegas. No, exactly. Like I, I'm not expecting uh, Vegas to to come in there and and get the job done. And B- Buffalo still has, uh, you know, uh, its whole season in, in front of it. It just needs to avoid that the dreaded 0 and 2 start. And I I think they will. I think I think that that point about going from the Jets defense to the Raiders that that should uh, cure what ails the yep. Bills right now. The Jets defense was incredible on Holy Monday crap. night. Unbelievable. Insane. Good, right? And well, especially, I mean, especially given the scenario, right? It's like the 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 energy is just completely sapped from the building at the moment that Zach Wilson trots out onto the field and you know, everybody's <laughs> checking their phones. They know what's going on. It's like that's that's one of those spots where, like, even at the half, like I'm I'm texting my boys and I'm like, Yeah, this one's over. Like, everybody, good job. We picked the Bills. You guys are you guys are set. Like, I didn't even consider. I think the Bills were like minus six hundred at one point on the halftime money line. Uh, at some books, I mean, it, it it really felt like it was over, even though it was a one-score game. You just didn't think the Jets were going to be able to put up any points. And you wonder, too, did the Bills, you know, kind of read into that themselves? Did they think, oh, all right, we got this one sewn up. It's Zach Wilson. Nothing can really go wrong here. Uh, so as long as they can, you know, just kind of refocus here, which I think they will. I mean, that was a worst-case scenario game uh, by Josh Allen. That's not happening again uh, against the Las Vegas Raiders. Let's move on to the Baltimore Ravens, John, your team, going on the road against the Cincinnati Bengals. We talked at the top of the show, uh, second straight year, major week one letdown for the Bengals, somewhat of a similar situation with Joe Burrow, you know, missing most of training camp, coming in cold, coming in off the injury this time. Last year, uh, it was the appendix. Uh, but man, did that Cincinnati offense look terrible uh, in, in rough conditions, to their credit, on the road at the Cleveland Browns. What is your initial lean here? Uh, number sitting at three or three and a half, depending on the book. So this is one that I think we should include. And I think I'm on the side of the Bengals on this one. I think that the fact that we're, we're getting it, we get it at a field goal. I could see the Bengals winning this one by, by four points, even up to a touchdown in, in this scenario. Uh, the Ravens, you know, they, they got to retool some things on the fly with J.K. Dobbins going out for the season. He was, you know, so heavily featured early in that game. Um, you know, obviously things are going to be a bit different now. Um, if they get Mark Andrews back, that, that's obviously a huge mark in their favor. But like I kind of alluded to earlier, this is a Ravens secondary that that its problems right now weren't going to be exposed by the Houston Texans. But you come out of that game with Marcus Williams uh, injuring his pectoral. He's going to be out for most of, if not the entire season. Marlon Humphrey still out. So the you know those pass catching weapons you know T Higgins Jamar Chase the the list goes on, I think that they they click back in and that you know they probably get a little bit excited about facing some of the guys that they're going to be seeing uh, in the Ravens secondary and you know there, there's some other you know significant injuries on the Ravens side of things you know Ronnie Ronnie Stanley gets hurt during that game Tyler Linderbaum so we're talking about forty percent of that starting offensive line suddenly being up in the air for, for this coming week. I, th- I think Linderbaum might be week to week, actually, in fact. So this is, I mean, it was, it was a, I'm not saying it's a win the battle, lost the war type of type of thing for the Ravens, but it was a costly 
victory that they had on Sunday and, and them going shorthanded to a desperate Cincinnati team that, that is looking to just completely wash away what happened in week one. Really dangerous spot for Baltimore. I think that I think the Bengals win this one in cover. We're going to have to see where the number comes in for circa million. If it's at three, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, the, the injuries on the, the Raven side of things, especially the offensive line, that is a, a notable concern. And, and obviously, you know, Joe Burrow and this Bengals offense, I think we'll be able to pick apart the secondary quite a bit more uh, than, than the Houston Texans did on Sunday. But if we can get it at three and a half, absolutely. I would actually take the Ravens side of things there. I think I think this is a three-point game, John. I, I really think the Ravens uh, will be able to keep this close. I think the offense, by default, will look better than it did in week one. I think we saw some signs of, okay, Lamar Jackson didn't play in the preseason. I thought he looked really, really rusty, had some kind of questionable decisions, just didn't really look like himself, didn't really look confident. Um, and maybe some credit you know, goes to the Houston defense, which for the most part was up to the task, right? I, I think for... For as sloppy as the Ravens looked at times, I thought Houston actually acquitted itself pretty well on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, I, last year we saw the, the, the Bengals fall flat against the Steelers in week one. Then they turned around and lost to the Cowboys in week two. So it, it's not like they, they immediately got this thing turned around. Now, you know, right after that, they went on a run and, and became the Bengals uh, and, and reasserted themselves as one of the best teams in the AFC. And I, I think we do see that at some point. But, uh, you know, I, the Bengals look so, so bad in week one that even just to get back to equilibrium to me feels like a pretty big step. And what, correct me if I'm wrong. You lose to a Cowboys team that was quarterbacked by Cooper rush. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. It was, yeah. I believe it was mm. a 20 to 17 loss to the Cooper rush Dallas Cowboys. What the heck? 2022 Cincinnati Bengals. Um, Classic but, 2022 Bengals. Ugh, SMH. Um, but um, yeah, I guess we, we are a little bit split on this one. It, it seems, but uh and, you know, you can accuse me of being overly critical of the, of the team that I pay the most attention to. But I think that those injuries coupled with, you know, the, the you know, multi-year history of Bang or Burrow versus the Ravens. I don't know. I, I feel like the Bengals uh, are, are going right. to this is the week that they lock it back in. All right. All right, well, we'll have to have uh, a few more hours of discussion off air before we lock in those circuit picks later in the week. Uh, let's go to Seattle and Detroit. Uh, another rematch of a game we saw last year, uh, middle of the season. This was a high-scoring game. I want to say it was played in the 40s, uh, one of the highest-scoring games of the entire season. You know, we, we already complained about Seattle for like 15 minutes at the start of the pod, so not, not much else to say about their week one performance. <laughs> Detroit, man, I, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they obviously, they win at Arrowhead. They get credit for that. You know, this is going to be a, a raucous home environment for, for their opener. No question about that. I also don't think the Lions deserve to win. And I, I think, you know, if Canarius Tony just makes one catch over the course of four quarters of, of all the drops that he had, I don't think they lose that game. And I, I think we're looking at this as, wow, the Lions re really fell flat there. They had a huge opportunity. No Chris Jones, no Travis Kelsey. And, and they lost to this Chiefs team with, with no receivers. Obviously, they get it done. That's all washed away. But I, I didn't exactly come out of last Thursday feeling great about Detroit. Yeah, the, the only thing that, that really felt like it was consistently clicking, I mean, the, the defense – being able to keep a lid on, albeit a, a not full strength, uh, Chiefs offense was was impressive, sure. But I mean, outside of Amon Ross St. Brown, who's really scaring you um, on, on this Lions offense? I, I Marvin you know, Jones, Josh, that's who. <laughs> but I mean, he scares me if I'm a Lions fan, certainly. <laughs> um, but uh, be, beyond that, I think points well taken. I, I think it is kind of kind of funny, like almost just comedic relief that. Um, Chris Jones is sitting out that game. There's an instance at the end of the game where, where if the Lions are able to run for a first down, they're able to kind of put it on ice. 
I wonder if that sequence unfolds the same way if Chris Jones is out there. I wonder if the game is as close with, with, with Chris Jones out there in the first place. So uh, that, that was a nice little bargaining chip uh, for him, uh, certainly. And now, now he'll be back. But, um, you know, that. so we have the Lions. There's a lot of public enthusiasm. There's a ton of public enthusiasm on the Lions coming into this season to begin with. You, you go out and you win that first game of the, of the NFL season against the reigning Super Bowl champs. People are going to be stoked about you. And, and the Lions, or I'm sorry, the Seahawks on the other side of it completely fell on their face. So we have a tricky number to, to kind of navigate here where, you know, we're seeing it at six or five and a half, uh, depending on, on uh, which shop. It's going to be one of the more high scoring games, at least we, we expect it to be, uh, like you were alluding to. I think, you know, this is a this is a huge moment for the Seahawks. If they lose here, um, the season just kind of potentially starts to get away from them in a, in a pretty yeah. uh, real way that, that's going to be tough. And, and we know what the what the 49ers look like now. Um, you know, that that's it, it could be tough times for, for Seattle, who, who are now, uh, you know, plus money to to uh, miss the, the or to make the playoffs at this juncture after being. Uh, minus 120 to make the playoffs going into last Sunday. So some some market correction there as well. As far as the five and a half is concerned for this one, my lean is to kind of just zag and and go with Seattle here. But I I, I don't know why I feel feel good about it. I, I can't quite put it into words just yet. Again, folks, it is Tuesday. It's not Thursday. It, not the not the same level of of crispness coming from from me right now. But at the same time, I feel like Seattle's the bet right now. The look ahead on this game was two and a half. And now, like you said, it's at five and a half. That, that to me, is probably a little bit reactionary. Uh, I, I think most of it is reactionary to just how bad Seattle looked in the second half, which, by the way, they were leading at halftime. Like, it's not like this was a, a complete no-show. Like, something happened at halftime. Maybe it was the injuries to the tackles. I don't know what it was. But Seattle just could not move the ball. Uh, I think they had, what, 18 yards of total offense. And some of those came very late in the game uh, in the second half against the Rams. Uh, you know, the Lions, like, like we said, it's a, a very strange sample. You're on the road at Arrowhead. Two of the top three players for the Chiefs are out. I didn't think the Lions looked very good for like 80% of that game. So I, I don't I don't really change my like my power rating on the Lions based on that. But I'm with you. I, I think if I had to pick this game, if we do include it in Circa, I would lean Seattle. I, I just think, you know, this line jumping three points based off of week one feels a, a little bit too much to me. Uh, although, you know, if Seattle is without both of those tackles, that is a big deal. Uh, certainly it is. And, you know, we'll see. I, I think Detroit too, like we're going to see more Jameer Gibbs in week two. And every time we saw him in week one, it was electric. You know, I think he should have had a touchdown. He kind of juked himself out, uh, clearly would have had the corner. Um, so I, I think his stat line would have looked better had that not happened. But Dan Campbell was asked about it after the game. And he, he said, look, we had a plan. We, we were going to ease him into action. Uh, you know, it, to me, it just seemed like, uh, you know, we, we want to kind of smooth that transition from college to the NFL for Jameer Gibbs. It wasn't injury related. It wasn't performance related, but I think we see a lot more of him in week two. And to me, that's an advantage for the Detroit lions. But again, I think if we are taking this one, I lean Seattle, especially if you could get them at six right now, even on the road in what's going to be a wild environment. Let's move to Colts, Texans. We don't have to spend too much time on this one. John, there, there are a couple of just unconscionable week two <laughs> matchups here. Like the Colts are playing the Texans, the Commanders are playing the Broncos. Uh, like, why, why is this happening? The Bears are playing the Buccaneers. Like, these are these Ugh. are impossible games. These are impossible games. And, you know, the, the Colts are, are one-point favorites over at FanDuel. They're one-and-a-half-point favorites at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, I, I don't know where to go here. I'm, I'm throwing up my hands. They're, they're do, up. You, do we just say home dogs 
and 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 go on with it. I mean, uh, you I know, so. like, like <laughs> you know, I'm good with that. But like you said, the Texans defensively showed up. I thought Anthony Richardson on the other side uh, looked looked impressive uh, in in his uh, debut. Uh, certainly more so than than C.J. Stroud. Um, it, I guess, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to continue to stick with with uh, the Texans here uh, as the as the home underdogs. But th- this, uh, as you were alluding to, uh, not something that, that I anticipate us uh, putting on the card. Yeah, totals at 40. Uh, I mean, I, I think I had this one 20 to 17 Texans in my picks article, which will be up on the site on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, I, I don't love it. It's not going to be on the card. I can tell you that. But I, I think you're right. I think we take the home dog here. I think these teams are pretty much equal. I, I don't really know what the Colts did to to earn more respect in week one. Yes, they hung in there with the Jaguars. But, you know, they were also just gifted a, a free touchdown on Tank Bigsby, just, you know, handing the ball to DeForest Buckner. Uh, you know, they, they had a, a weird pick also on Tank Bigsby. Uh, that, that was almost a pick six, turned into a touchdown a couple of plays later. So I, I think they were basically spotted 14 points uh, that they're not going to get most weeks. And yeah, the, the defense held up okay. I thought the run defense, especially in the first three quarters against Jacksonville, looked pretty good. That's somewhat of a concern. But I also don't think Houston's really going to be able to run the ball on anybody this year. So yeah, th- this to me is a, a very close, low-scoring game. And in that situation, I'm going to default to the home team. That is the Houston Texans. Speaking of the Jaguars, they get the Kansas City Chiefs in Week 2. This game is in Jacksonville, also in the early window on Sunday. Uh, Chiefs are three-point favorites, John, across the board. Well, I think the people want to know, where do you land on this? Uh, I need to know, is Travis Kelsey playing in this game? And as of Tuesday, we do not have the answer to that. My my inkling, given that he you know, ostensibly warmed up and tried to play last Thursday night, is that he will play in this game. And if that's the case, I am, I'm taking the Chiefs here. No question about it. I, I think, you know, to me, like the Lions or the Jaguars are, are at least in a similar tier. I, I think the Jags are a slightly better team, partially because they have the better quarterback. I think they have the better coach as well. Um, but, you know, I, I think we, we saw the Lions, you know, hang around on the road against the Chiefs. Again, without Travis Kelsey, without Chris Jones, you put those two pieces back into the mix for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I, I think we see a completely different football team. You know, now going all the way down, you got to go play at the Cecil Shorts Memorial Field in Jacksonville. You talk about a raucous environment. That's going to be one as well. Jags Nation is going to be fired up. We got a high total. I think we see points on both sides. 50, uh, 51 and a half, excuse me, is the total at FanDuel, 51 at DraftKings. I think the Jags are going to be able to score. I just, I do not trust this Jacksonville defense against Patrick Mahomes. And it's, it's almost inconceivable to me to, to think that the Chiefs could be 0 2. So I, I'm taking Kansas City. I think that's, that's the right side. As enthusiastic as, as I am about the, the Jags, at least from, from fantasy perspective this year, heavily leveraged, um, you know, and very impressed by, by a lot of what they were able to do on, on Sunday. Yeah, the Chiefs are, are a different animal, and and if they get Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey back in the fold and uh, have fewer targets allocated for the likes of uh, Kadarius Toney, um, you know that that's taking points off the board for Jacksonville right there, um, just just simply by, by by not giving him opportunities. Um, so, I th- I think the Chiefs come out here and they, they they win this one. I think this is the most entertaining game uh, on on the slate for for this weekend. But I, I think all sum in total that we see the Chiefs go in there and, and uh, get the win, to, to, much to the chagrin of everyone in the pool at uh, Cecil Shorts Memorial. Yeah, it's, it's just not a good defense. You know, I mean, they gave up a they gave up a touchdown on a wide receiver quick pass. I wouldn't even call it a screen. It wasn't even that well blocked to Michael Pittman on a second and 28. You know, like if you're giving that up to Michael Pittman 
what's going to happen when you're playing against Patrick Mahomes? I don't care who the receivers are. I, I, I just don't trust Jacksonville's defense to hold up here. I mean, three is a tough number. I, again, I do think the Jags are going to put up points in this game. It's, it's not going to be a blowout. They're going to hang around, but uh, I really lean Kansas City pretty hard here. By the way, I mean, 10 days of rest, right? Yeah, maybe not for Travis Kelsey, not for Chris Jones, uh, two key pieces here, but the Chiefs, have, they're, they're going to have more time to prepare. They're going to be fresher on the whole than the Jacksonville Jaguars are. And I, I also have big questions about the Jags play calling. I, I don't want to turn this into like a 30 minute Jags rant, but the play calling, especially in the first half, John was horrific. You know, they, they have a new full-time play caller, press Taylor. Uh, he called the plays for half of last season. I think he called the first, no, he called the second half. Doug Peterson called the first half press Taylor's doing it all now this year. And I mean, the, the third down calls were bizarre. Uh, you know, they, they had some, some uh, sequence where, you know, the Colts had just scored and, you know, Jags need to answer. They run Tank Bigsby into the line three times in a row and punt. Uh, you know, they were awful on third and fourth down the entire day. They were, what, four of 15 combined on third and fourth down. Uh, just seemed out of sorts. And I, I don't think this Chiefs team, which, you know, when you think of Kansas City, you think of Mahomes, you think of them whipping the ball around. Like, this is a really, really good defense. And I, I think the Jaguars are going to need a little bit of time to, you know, kind of find their final form, which was the case last year as well. I don't think the Chiefs are the team to do that against. Let's go to Bears Buccaneers. This, this one is the opposite of Jags Chiefs in just about every way. Uh, number is Buccaneers, three-point home favorites across the board. I think I'm buying it. I, I think I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take the cheese here. I, th I think, you know, the Bears, like, cosmically, what will just never get over the Packers hump, period. So, like, that, that you know, helps explain la last week. But I think they also had some pretty um, – concerning trends, uh, you know, kind of come out of that game. It's not the the classic Bears defense of, of old or anything close to it. And the offense is so out of sorts. And, you know, the Buccaneers, they showed that they, you know, despite they don't have Tom Brady anymore, they still, you know, are, are a team that uh, defensively, like the, the DNA and the fingerprints from that Super Bowl run is still on the on this Bucs roster. So, um, the defense is is going to be a big problem, I think, for for the Bears in in this spot, and I think the offense is going to be able to do just enough against a leaky um, Chicago defense to where um, I will side with Baker uh, on this one. Uh, Tampa Baker, why not? That that just felt like a long preamble just for you to say Tampa Baker, uh, which you know <laughs> it I, I clicked in about three seconds left in the, in the rant. I was like, oh yeah, Tampa Baker. Uh, it goes without saying for me that this is this is going to be a stay away in the Circumillion. No question about that. Uh, you know, we'll see if we could get it at you know two and a half or three and a half. You know, then then maybe I would I'd be willing to dabble. Um, you know, I, I think we, we said it last week. Like, you know, everybody's down on Tampa Bay and for good reason. But uh, there's still a lot of talent on this defense specifically. You know, we, we saw both Mike Evans and Chris Godwin make a big impact. I think that certainly helps, right? Like the last few situations we've seen. Uh, with Baker Mayfield, it's like he's, he hasn't really had true veteran, you know, high level Pro Bowl caliber receivers around him. And look, I, I don't think that Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are going to salvage Baker Mayfield's career, but it, it doesn't hurt to have guys like that that you could rely on. And, you know, to me, it just comes down to like, how down are we on the Bears? Because I, I think the Buccaneers, in a lot of ways, were lucky to win that game. I mean, they had like one of the least efficient running days in recent NFL history. Rashad White was something like, I think he was what, like minus 30 yards under expected. Yep. Uh, in terms of the like the room that the, that he had per PFF on, on his runs, I mean that Tampa Bay was the worst rushing team in the league last year. It doesn't look like that's going to change even against a bad uh, Chicago Bears defense. I, I don't think Minnesota is a good defense in its own right. It's just a matter of like can the Chicago offense bounce back or 
Are, is this the team that we saw last week against Green Bay? I, th- I think it's probably a little bit more week one uh, than, than uh, you know, any sort of uh, complete reversal of, of fortune when it comes to the Bears. And when, when the Bears, you know, did well last year, it didn't ever feel like they had a complete offensive showing. It would just kind of be like, Justin Fields had a huge day in fantasy and the Bears lost by two touchdowns or, or something like that. So um, I don't know if that gets it done uh, here on, on the road against Tampa Bay. Again, you know, maybe this uh, Tampa offense, particularly in the passing game, slightly more credible than than people were, were thinking going into the year. Uh, and to your point on, on the, the Bucks run game, I think that they like by a, la- a large margin, like since 2002 or, or 2003, like the, the Buccaneers far and away have like the least rushing yards in football. I think Doug Martin and I don't know if work done was, was on there still, but maybe, yeah, since that, since that Oh two Super Bowl run, like they just haven't had an ability to run the ball. It's just, it just doesn't really exist down there. It's not really their thing. They're not into it uh, either way. They have enough with Chris Godwin, Mike Evans and company, uh, good offensive line. I think the Bucs had done. All right. All due respect to Cadillac Williams, by the way. I, I think he, he deserves mention here. Sure. Uh, let's go to Chargers-Titans. Uh, a, a unique matchup here. I, I like this one. I, I don't necessarily uh, have a, a great read on it. I'm leaning Chargers. Number is three. Uh, Chargers three-point favorites on the road at Tennessee. But I mean, this is a, a classic matchup. Like last week, we saw you know the Chargers and the Dolphins, which in many ways were, were mirror images of each other. And obviously, that played out uh, in the high-scoring game that we thought we would get. Chargers and the Titans, these are two polar opposites. Right. So, you know, that, and as a result, this could either be the, the Chargers boat racing the, the Titans or the Titans dragging them down to their level um, just a, as a classic Mike Vrabel coaching performance where, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think Tennessee really needs to clean up the turnovers. Tannehill can't be just throwing three interceptions all willy-nilly um, as he did in New Orleans. Um, otherwise, this is going to get away from, from the Titans uh, in a hurry. You, you set Justin Herbert up with, with short fields. Bad things are, are probably going to happen to you. Um, but I just I have such a hard time trusting the Chargers generally. I have a hard time trusting them on the road. Um, anytime that, that, that I perceive a, a coaching disadvantage, which is pretty often when it comes to the Chargers, like, it, like we see here with Vrabel versus um, Brandon Staley, uh, yeah, like like you're saying, my my you look at the you look at the board and you your your lean is the Chargers, but it's a, the Titans just might ugly this one up just okay. enough to to uh, to stay within the number. Uh, we'll we'll have to see if if like the the public money comes in enough to where um, it goes to three and a half. That would be fantastic if if we wanted to go with the Titans in, in that particular okay. scenario. But even at three, I'm kind of going with the Titans here for better or for worse. Total sitting at 46 at DraftKings, which to me is more of a, a push toward the Chargers, I guess. I mean, 46 isn't like crazy, crazy high, but, uh, you know, it's like we saw the Titans score 15 points last week. And that that, that in some ways like felt like the max. Uh, <laughs> although, you know, you, you mentioned the, the three picks for Ryan Tannehill, 10 points off of those three interceptions for the New Orleans Saints. It's like it, if he doesn't throw one of those, maybe the Titans win that game. Like it, it, that it, it's kind of the, the same principle that we talked about, you know, with. Uh, some of these other like worst case scenario games, you know, like Josh Allen had close to a worst case scenario game on Monday night and they end up losing on, you know, somewhat of a fluky play in overtime, you know, I, Ryan Tannehill to me had close to a worst case scenario game for him. And 
you know, Tennessee was still really close to winning this game. You know, they, they had a, a crucial decision late, uh, opted for the field goal, had to get a stop, get the ball back. You know, hopefully you get another field goal. Uh, believe it or not, they never got the ball back. Uh, but, you know, like they were, it, it wasn't like this was a complete blowout. It's like uh, normally if, you're, if your quarterback uh, puts up the numbers that Ryan Tannehill did, you would not expect it to be a one-point game against a pretty decent team in the New Orleans Saints. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm kind of waffling back and forth on this. Like, you, you never want to bet against Mike Vrabel. You know, the, the, the Titans defensive line, I think, has a decided advantage here against the Chargers, who that was the other big thing. You know, it's like the, the Chargers, Dolphins, we got the shootout that we thought. Maybe not necessarily the way that it played out on the Chargers side, like the, the, the rushing attack from the L.A. Chargers. Like, where did this come from? Right. And, and you know, Austin Eckler now uh, dealing with a bit of an ankle issue as yeah. well. So, um, you know, the – I don't know if that's just Kellen Moore, you know, kind of not you don't ease into your 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 position as an offensive coordinator in the league, but uh, maybe still figuring out the exact direction that he wants to go. And if Austin Eckler is as big of a part of of the game plan as he should be and he's not available or if he's limited, that only, you know, lends credence further to the Titans here. And and to your point, like that Titans defensive front, especially Jeffrey Simmons, uh, pretty intimidating. Um, so I know that this has been billed as a lot of the Chargers uh, optimism for this year is, oh, this is the best offensive line that they've had. And, and now we, we have three legit receivers, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it still didn't really seem to matter. Uh, no matter how good the Chargers seem to be on paper, it just never uh, really seems to matter whatsoever. So I'm just I'm going to go Titans here. I've got, the more we've talked okay. about it, the, the better I feel about it. All right, let's zoom through these late window games. Then we will hit the Sunday and the two Monday night games. We'll talk some Survivor and we'll get out of here. Uh, Giants-Cardinals. Number is four and a half in favor of the Giants at points bet. It's up to six at FanDuel. Uh, let me check DraftKings real quickly. The number uh, at DK is five and a half. So we're, we're all over the board here uh, on the New York Giants and the Arizona Cardinals. We talked about it a little bit at the top. I, I like the Giants here. I, I think I, I'm going to push pretty hard for this to be one of our selections. I, I think the Cardinals, you know, we're feeling a little bit better about them. They hung around. They almost beat the Commanders. There were some very strange plays in that game, including a, a Sam Howell just, you know, gaff that, that turned into a free touchdown before the half for the Arizona Cardinals. I did, did, did not think we saw the, the version of Sam Howell that we were hopeful to see. You know, he played so well in the preseason. That was not really on display for the most part on Sunday. My opinion on the Cardinals has not really changed. I, I don't think the commanders are very good. I, I think the Cardinals uh, were in position to win that game. And because they're the Arizona Cardinals, because they have no talent on this roster, uh, they couldn't pull it across the finish line. And, and look, obviously the Giants looked as bad as you can look in week one. This is this is not a defense of the Giants. They, they, there's really nothing to say about how bad they were against the Dallas Cowboys. But I also think Dallas might have the best defense in the league. And they might have a top three roster in the league. Like, you know, you play that game out 10 times. They're, they're not beating the Giants 40 to nothing every time, but I think they probably win seven or eight of those matchups. So it was just kind of a, a bad night. Everything went wrong early on. You have the block field goal. You got the, the pick six. And from then on, it, it just felt like the Giants were in an insurmountable hole. They're not a team that's built to play from behind whatsoever. And I think they got out of sorts and they're, they're just, they're in a, a much friendlier situation, even on the road against Arizona. It's not an environment that I really fear. Uh, but I, I think, you know, going from facing the Dallas Cowboys in that spot in week one to facing the Arizona Cardinals, like that is, that is the exact, uh, what do you call it? I, I want to say melody, uh, remedy, remedy. That's what we're looking for, uh, for what the, the New York Giants put out there in week one. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, um, yeah, going from the from facing the Cowboys to the Cardinals. 
I mean, that's like taking a 40 pound donut off of your bat and then and going up to the plate. I mean, not, yes. not to you know mix metaphors too much with baseball and so on, but yeah. um, you know, I feel, I feel like that, that, that does kind of carry the analysis here. I think the Cardinals, like you said, they are who they are. They, they are uh, racing to the bottom to, to, to have that number one pick uh, in the draft. And, you know, Josh Dobbs, I mean, it, I don't, I wonder how much longer his leash is before it's Clayton tune time. Um, uh, I mean, and yeah, and, I don't, I don't know. We, we know it's going to be Dobbs this week, at least starting the game. And, and we'll, we'll see how it goes from there. I think, you know, the, the Giants defense also, um, as long as they don't get put in impossible spots all over the place, like that, it's a very talented defense. And I like how it's yep. coached. It's aggressive. I was always a fan of Wink Martindale and his reckless blitzing style. I think that that type of style against the Cardinals right now, that's going to just, that's going to rattle them. So, uh, the more we've talked about this one, the, 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 I'm in on, on putting this in, in our uh, quintet of picks. Yeah, I, I think the Giants have like the six best players in this game, you know, um, and that's a, a very simple way to look at it, more of a fantasy way to look at it. But, uh, you know, I, I think I, I think we're going to look back at week one and say, OK, maybe there's a little bit of an overreaction to, to just how bad the New York Giants looked. 49ers Rams. Interesting game in the NFC West in week two. 49ers eight point favorites at the DraftKings Sportsbook over this the i wanted to say st louis rams i did not say it over the la rams uh how does that number sound to you at first glance it sounds like a lot but then i i also i feel like this is a, a scenario where i could feel very stupid for picking against the 49ers like this could be another one where where like you know we're, we're going into the fourth quarter and the and the 49ers are up 35 to to three on the yep. rams and and um you know with sam darnold is is taking over at quarterback so uh i could certainly see that i have a hard time uh envisioning the the rams offense having the same level of success that that hit that it did up in seattle i think that that 49ers defense is crazy scary and it seems like you know what like brock purdy may not be the best quarterback in, in the league or and never will be but i think he's at least a guy that can operate the kyle shanahan offense and you have Christian McCaffrey and, you know, the point still stands about that Rams defense that they, they were able to buck up a little bit this past week, but it, those are some real bullies in San Francisco. And and that's an uncomfortable 60 minutes. So eight points might, might honestly not be, not be enough or, or not even close to it. Yeah. And you know, 49ers are, are on the road here, but we're not talking about a, a real home field advantage. I mean, we saw it with the chargers last week. That was that, that at times felt like a Miami dolphins home game. And it's going to be the same way for the 49ers here on the road. I'm with you. I, I think we're in lockstep on this one. I, I, I certainly gained respect for the Rams, you know, kind of regained respect for Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay last week. I think the Rams are, are, are in a spot here where they'll, they'll keep this competitive. Uh, but I, I think it was a reminder that, you know, Matthew Stafford, is, is still one of those top half guys, like I said at the beginning of the podcast. So there's there's not this you know glaring hole at quarterback like there was uh, for the Rams at the end of last season. So I think we, we kind of need to throw out that image of what the Rams are. But the 49ers are just loaded, man. They are loaded. And you look at that game against Pittsburgh, like I, I think Pittsburgh is a better team than the Rams. Uh, I, I think if you want to say they're about the same, I, I'm okay with that. And you know the Niners just went on the road in week one and, and just decimated Pittsburgh in, in every facet of the game. And you know, they were basically done scoring like in the first minute of, of the third quarter, McCaffrey rips off that long run and the 49ers just, just kind of shut it down after that. They was running the ball like 80% of the time. Like they, they, they knew where this game was going. And I think it could have been even uglier if they wanted it to be. And the, the main question that I had about San Francisco and the reason 
that I ultimately took Pittsburgh in a bunch of my interest was I, I thought, you know, they could be a little rusty, you know, Kittle's banged up, you know, Brock Purdy has been on this pitch count. Like it's going to take him some time to get back. Like if that was my concern, like, I, I don't know how I could still carry that over to week two because I mean, no. Purdy, especially but Purdy last year, you know, there's a lot of the game management stuff and oh, it's, you know, you can just plug and play in, in Kyle Shanahan's system. Like, Brock Purdy was making some some big, big-time throws, especially in the first half. It makes you wonder, like, what what all this would look like if Brock Purdy had just come out after his junior year uh, of college because yeah. he, he, he had, like, a kind of Benjamin Button-esque college career arc where, like, he starts out really good, him and Brees Hall rocking, and then it just nosedived to where he was Mr. Irrelevant, where, you know, going into his senior year, he could have been, like, a, a day-two uh, type of pick. So may- maybe the truth is he's somewhere in the middle, but um, either way, you know, there, there was a time not so long ago where Brock Purdy was looking like a legit NFL prospect. Jets Cowboys uh, is another week two matchup. We are seeing the Cowboys as nine and a half point favorites total sitting at 40 uh, obvious caveats here. I mean, the, the calculus of this game has changed dramatically. Uh, the, the moment that Aaron Rodgers went down in his fourth play as the New York Jets quarterback last night, uh, it'll be Zach Wilson. You know, the Jets uh, appear to be doing their diligence on some veteran options. Uh, they need to add a quarterback no matter what. I mean, Zach Wilson was the only other quarterback on the active roster last night. Uh, we'll, we'll see what path they ultimately go with. But Chad Henney. It, it could be Chad Henney. <laughs> and there, there's, there's been some Kaepernick buzz. There's There's been some Brett Favre buzz. We'll see. Um, <laughs> you know, I, they're, they're going to at least give Zach Wilson a chance here. I, I think that leash is going to be very short depending – on who they bring in. I don't think the Jets are just willing to completely throw out this season. Now, you know, is, is winning the Super Bowl out of the cards? Yes, it probably is. But, you know, w- with the timing of this injury, I think it's difficult to just say like, all right, well, we'll just cancel our plans to be good and we'll, we'll try to run it back next year. Like the, the Jets have to try to salvage something here. And, you know, this is just based on what we saw in week one and based on what we know about the Cowboys, like could there be a worse spot for Zach Wilson to have to step in unexpectedly now in week two? Boy, it's, it's pretty scary. And, you know, it, it seemed like the um, the Bills were able to generate some pressure um, on, on Monday night. And what do you think the Cowboys are going to do? You know, like that that's, probably generates the pressure, John. Uh, I, I would guess so. Um, so that that's tough. I mean, we, we have a, a huge line here. Like you said, nine and a half points. Um, so that's that's tricky. But my my lean is to just go with it and, and say that the, the Cowboys can just beat up on bad quarterbacks and Zach Wilson certainly qualifies as such. So, and we, we didn't even really like see the, the Cowboys offense uh, go off last week. And, you know, that could certainly help keep the jets in this particular game, but the Cowboys play a, a better game offensively. Obviously this isn't going to be in, in crappy conditions the way it was in East Rutherford. Um, yeah. I think that, I think that, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and, and take the the big favorite here. So that's, that's two in a row. That makes me a little bit queasy, but at the same time, I, I think that that's the right side. Commanders Broncos. This is our final game in the late window on Sunday. Uh, again, just a brutal matchup. Like, come on, what are we, what are we doing here? I, I Broncos are three and a half point favorites at home. Uh, that's what I'm seeing at DraftKings. If that number holds, I, I think I like the commanders. You know, this, this feels like, Pretty much every Broncos game this year is going to be, to me, a, a two to three point game, one direction or the other. Uh, and if the Broncos are are you know, handing out more than three points at home to a team like the Commanders, who I think in a lot of ways are pretty equal. I think you have two good defenses. You know, there's a reason this total is at 39. Uh, I, I honestly lean under on that. I think both teams are going to struggle uh, to get to 20, as was the case for both of them last week. Uh, I, I'm on the Commanders three and a half here. 
I like that call. Um, yeah, we we don't trust the, the Broncos just yet. Uh, I think I set my official line at October for them to start figuring things out. So we still got some or time. Else. Yeah, or else, Sean Payton, you're on notice. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think that Mile High can be a difficult place to play, but at the same time, especially early in the season, but then the Raiders just went ahead and did what they did last week. I think Washington, they do have a pretty ferocious defense, and I, I think the offense will look a little bit better. I think I almost felt like they were putting a little bit too much pressure on themselves uh, last week and, and uh, against the Cardinals. It's like, oh, man, we can't lose to the Cardinals. So you play a little bit different, play a little bit worse. But, um, you know, I, I think Washington wins this game, and I think this is one of those games where if you're watching Red Zone on Sunday and there, there's four games on in, in this particular window – you might get about two two total minutes uh, of footage of this game, and it will likely be um, at, like when every other game is at halftime. Yeah, this is one of those situations where you, you kind of forget about it, and then you're like, oh, wait, I, what's going on out there? Like, are they in some sort of lightning delay? Is there is there like a fan <laughs> on the field? Like, why is Red Zone not panned there? And then, you know, they flash to it. There's like two minutes and 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter, and somehow you haven't seen any of that game. Uh, all right, let's go to the primetime games. We'll, we'll zip through these. Dolphins, Pats. On Sunday night, Dolphins two and a half point favorites on the road at the New England Patriots. Oh man, this is a really tough one. I mean, obviously a contrast here. You have you know what might be the best offense in the NFL when everybody's healthy and rolling. You have a really good defense at the Patriots that even in a loss, I think acquitted themselves well. You know, battled back. Mac Jones, I thought looked a lot better uh, than he looked for like ninety five percent of last year. Uh, Patriots had a couple chances really at the end uh, to to try to win this game or at least bring it a little bit closer. Um, but obviously you you come out, the Packers we talked about as being one of the big winners of week one, the Dolphins are on that list too. They absolutely are. Um, but you know, I still feel like this Patriots defense is going to be a problem for teams all year. And if the offense can look decent the way, I mean, obviously the, the pick six was a huge factor, um, in that new England game last week, but if Jones is able to clean that up a little bit, um, I could, I could see that the Patriots is bit like, being the worst type of matchup for, for the Dolphins. So like the, the Dolphins, I still feel like have obviously the much higher ceiling, a team that, that I like uh, going into the postseason. I'm, I, I stopped short there on, on New England, but I think New England is is that type of team, that type of roster build, especially at home, that is going to be able to give Miami some trouble here. So we're seeing a two and a half. That's, that's obviously a, a pretty tricky number, but um, the Patriots are at home in this spot. I think that they're going to be able to to cover. It's it's going to be a sweat on Sunday night, but that's fine. I, I, I will go with the Patriots once again. Saints-Panthers, John, that is the first of two Monday night games that we get in week two. Saints, three-point favorites on the road, uh, total sitting at 40 uh, at DraftKings. I, I think I like New Orleans here. I'm actually surprised this number is not a little bit higher. I am too. Um, I think New Orleans is, is the more complete team, and I, I think that Bryce Young – um, the the rookie struggles, they're not going away anytime soon. I, I thought that he looked not not so good against Atlanta. I think that this is a, a solid enough Saints defense to give him uh, some trouble um, as well. And it's, a, it's an opportunistic defense. Maybe the opportunity was just Ryan Tannehill. Uh, that, that's you know up for discussion, of course. But I think Bryce Young is going to struggle to uh, keep this offense rolling. And that's just going to be enough for, for the Saints to win this one in not overly pretty or convincing fashion, but I think that's going to be kind of a recurring storyline for, for the Saints this year. I think that, you know, they're, they're like a seven-win team that 
never impresses you, but never like disgusts you either necessarily. They're just very, very middle of the road. And, and um, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see the contrast between the Saints offense and the Falcons offense because, you know, that Carolina faced a totally different style of team in the season opener and the, and the Saints, you know, especially without Alvin Kamara, they're, they're going to be more attuned to, to testing out um, that Carolina secondary. So that's something to, to keep an eye on as well. But I, I think Carr is a nice fit in New Orleans. Um, you know, Rashid Shahid proving to be a credible threat opposite Chris Olave. I think there's just a little bit too much for the Saints um, to, to not uh, cover in this spot. Yeah, I think the Saints were in some ways lucky to escape last week against Tennessee, get that win uh, in week one. I didn't think Derek Carr played all that well. They weren't really able to run the ball. Um, and, you know, I, I think some of that comes around in week two. And, you know, Tennessee is, is even if Ryan Tannehill's throwing three picks, is always a really difficult team to play. So I, I think there's going to be uh, a nice little step down in terms of competition level here for the New Orleans Saints. So we, we like that one. We'll put that one in our, in our back pocket for now uh, as a potential entry for Circa Million. That brings us to the final game. Uh, the later game uh, starts an hour after the, the first uh, Saints-Panthers game. This is Brown-Steelers, John. Uh, Cleveland, after decimating the Cincinnati Bengals in week one, two-point favorites on the road at the Pittsburgh Steelers, total all the way down at 39 and a half. I think I'm, I'm just going to have to bird box my, the week one takes on both these teams and, and just come into it with, with fresh eyes and – I like the Steelers as home dogs. Uh, you know, I, I've fallen into the same trap, I guess, uh, that I was a week ago. But, you know, Cleveland, you know, all credit to them for, for what they did against the Bengals last week. But the Steelers were, were out of sorts. They, they obviously are going to be missing Deontay Johnson now for, for a little while. That offensive line needs to get uh, cleaned up. It, it certainly didn't make the – or the improvements that were made to it in the offseason certainly didn't show um, in week one. Uh, but, you know, the, I think also the, the Browns had a pretty significant injury at, at one of their or along their offensive line. T.J. Watt still looks like it, uh, one of the most terrifying players in the league. I mean, even, even when the, the Steelers were getting crushed, like, you know, the, the quarterback was simply not safe for San Francisco. So I'm just going to I'm going to just wash away the week one results. I would have liked the Steelers going into this game if, you know, w- without week one being played yet. I'm going to stick to my guns here. I don't know how much longer my, my, uh, my leash is going to be with, with the Tomlin Pickett uh, experience, but for this week, it's still, it's still in effect. This is a, a really tough spot for me because I, I, I don't think that Deshaun Watson played very well in week one. He had the rushing touchdown. He had the short passing touchdown. They won the game. His air guitar, for, uh, his air guitar form was, it needs some work. Austin Eckler, yeah, was, I should give him some lessons. It was a little rusty. Didn't like to see that. Um, so I, I, I'm still like not that high on the Browns' offense, and I, I do think Pittsburgh defensively could give them some trouble. But I'm also worried. I mean, Cam Hayward's not going to play. He's having surgery on his groin. Deontay Johnson, I don't think is going to play in this game. He's basically doubtful now. Pat Fryerbooth was banged up as well. It's like you, if you take Deontay Johnson out of the mix for an offense that looked so wildly out of sorts in week one, it's like, all right, George Pickens, Allen Robinson, go, go do this work against what's a pretty good Cleveland Browns defense. Like that, that really worries me. And you're asking Kenny Pickett to take a, a huge leap week to week. Not that it's not in there. We've, we've obviously seen him play better than he did against San Francisco. And that's about as difficult of a, a week one defense as it gets uh, to go up against. But, but again, Cleveland is a very good defensive unit and you know we're, we're going to need to see a, a completely different approach 
from the Steelers offense. I, I, I think I would lean Browns here. I think we get another low scoring game. I mean, this to me is like, I don't know, 21, 17 Cleveland. Uh, so we, I, I think we'll probably not include this one in Circa, but uh, we'll, we'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Let's talk survivor quick. We'll give our locks of the week and then we'll, we'll hop out of here uh, per Circa Circa survivor. Uh, they run that parallel to the Circa million contest. 21% of entries were eliminated in week one. The bulk of those being the Minnesota Vikings, uh, they were they were picked by a little over 11% of entrants. Uh, we saw the Broncos, the Chiefs, the Bears, the Chargers. Uh, those all uh, cost some pickers as well. But Vikings really were the big one. Uh, everybody was on the Commanders. Everybody was on the Ravens. That accounted uh, for over 70% of the Circa entries in week one. Where are you looking now in week two? So we, we have some big numbers to, to play around with. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the top tier of your survivor Entries would be Buffalo, Dallas, San Francisco, and Philadelphia. Philadelphia, you feel a little bit oogie about with it being on, on Thursday night. San Francisco, you know, similar thing for um, it being a road divisional game. So my, my lean is Dallas. It, but, you know, for despite all these big numbers that, that we're looking at here, um, you know, the, that Jets defense is really scary. So that this is, this is subject to change. But for now, I, I, I am going to have to roll uh, with Dallas, and, and I couldn't do Buffalo because uh, it runs too far afoul of, of my take on them. Yeah, I don't mind Dallas. Uh, you, know, you mentioned Buffalo. Uh, you could talk me into San Francisco. Philly is another one. Uh, you know, the, the Giants, to me, are, are a team that I would consider. Uh, you know, kind of one of those, like, all right, am I, am I really going to feel better about using the Giants in any other spot than against the Arizona Cardinals? That might just be the strategy. Like, I might just pick against the Cardinals every week as long as I can and see how long we could ride that thing out. Um, so, so yeah, those are, those are the picks there. I, I think they're, it's not as obvious this week uh, as it was with commanders and Ravens last week. I, I think Ravens Texans is about as big of a, a mismatch as you're going to get. And, you know, certain weeks we'll, we'll have similar situations, but uh, you know, I, I think we'll see a, a more diversified split at the top. You know, I think we'll, you know, there's not going to be a, a 50% or a 40% pick this week. I think we could have three or four teams that are all, you know, in the high teens. Right. So, so there, there's a lot to choose from and, and, you know, obviously I think it, you know, just stands to reason with the way the NFL games go that probably one of these big favorites is, is going to lose um, outright or, or at least have to really sweat it out here. But I guess I do feel that the most confident um, in the Cowboys, but yes, it, it is an interesting week for, for survivor in the sense that, you know, last week it was so, clearly tied up in in Washington people wanted to use Washington so badly because when else are you going to use Washington this year so yeah going against the Cardinals is is you know kind of a, a nice little survivor hack mm-hmm. uh, that, that that uh you, you've engineered here so I, I certainly would consider the the Giants as well but as it stands knowing what I know about Zach Wilson uh I, I like the Cowboys all right, parlay of the week, John. Uh, it's early in the week, so I, I you know, take this one with a, a block of salt. But uh, we're, we're going three money lines and a total here. We're taking the Chiefs to win straight up in Jacksonville, the 49ers to win straight up against the Rams, the Giants to win straight up against the Cardinals, and I'm tying in the under on 46 points in that Chargers-Titans game. And to me, it's like if things go the Chargers' way and this turns into a blowout, you know, I, I, it's not like they're scoring 46 on their own. I think we would see a very low-scoring effort by the Tennessee Titans. If this game goes the Titans' way, you know, it's probably played in the high teens or the low 20s. Uh, so 46 to me is a number that I think we see come down as the week goes along. Give me your lock of the week. And again, it is Tuesday. So, you know, we have, we have to you know, 
be aware that things may change, especially on the injury front between now and Sunday. But if you got to lock it in on Tuesday night, John, where are you going? If I had to lock it in, it's with Joey B. It's with the, wow. the Cincinnati Bengals. I know, I know. It's it hurts me to do it, but I've seen that Cincinnati team light up a, a secondary that's much stronger than what the Ravens will be bringing to to um, the Skyline City. Is is that what they call it? I don't know. Fiona the Hippo might be there. I, I think there's. The, isn't it the Queen City? It is the Queen City. That yeah, but Charlotte uh, that is and also Charlotte. The Queen City. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but so so you know, regardless here. Um, I, I think that Cincinnati, they, they get they get past whatever was was ailing them a week ago and, and take advantage of a, of a banged up Ravens team early in the season that's still trying to get itself fully on track offensively. So that I think I'll have a different you know lean when the, when these teams rematch in Baltimore later this season. But for now, I, I think that those week one results are, are too much to to. Um, overlook here i I like uh the Bengals to to really bounce back i'm going with the giants we're we're taking a road favorite they're traveling across the country Uh, i know know, a lot of the haters and the losers would say it's a bad idea i think the giants uh, reassert themselves they refocus they shake off what happened uh, on sunday night and and they really take it to the arizona cardinals in week two so we are locking up the new york giants we'll take about five and a half that's the number that i'm seeing at DraftKings. Uh, Saints minus three, by the way, would, would be my my secondary lock of the week. Uh, if you're you're really jonesing for some value, but this is a dead uh, bolt. Yeah, exactly, dead bolt lock of the week. All right, that'll bring us to the end here, John. Uh, appreciate you hopping on with me as you do every week. Looking forward uh, to catching Thursday night football with you. We'll be uh, watching Eagles and Vikings very closely on Thursday uh, down south. Very much looking forward to that. And. Uh, I'll have the circuit video coming out Wednesday morning. You can find that on the RotoWire social channels. You can find that on our YouTube channels as well. So we'll have to conference, you know, make our final picks later tonight, but keep an eye out for that. Uh, other than that, enjoy the week, a long week ahead here. Uh, again, wish we could be in our normal slot here, uh, you know, kind of getting a little bit more information, but this will serve as, as more of a primer for week two. And we'll be back on that normal schedule ahead of week three. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.